What is up, everyone? Welcome to episode 27 of Mana Screwed. I am Tangent. With me, as always, is the Beamy slash Robert slash Roberto. Hello again. Welcome back. And uh, we are here once again to astound and amaze you with news and information from around the magic universe. So kick back, relax, grab a beer or a... Uh, you know, rock star and ever clear because you know I am, and enjoy the show. So we've had some. Uh, well, let's see, game day. Uh, did you play game day? By the way, I think I might have heard a little bit about that on Monday Night Magic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's just say again, warning to those people that are actually trying to build their own decks: do not go black, blue vampires, and slap together in. Think thirty minutes before the thing started. Bad, bad idea. So I, I heard your, you mentioned that. Now, you said that you put blue in there for control. Was it just for control? Was there any other reason? Ace the mind sculptor. Oh, okay. Well, I thought uh, like because I thought about it, and I was like, you know, vampires, especially with the vampire build that's that's out right now. I mean, Gavin took down one of the Star City tournaments, the online tournament, uh, yesterday with it, and that was pretty cool. But uh, I, I think that even if I was going to try a vampire build, I, I'd probably want to go blue-black just to be able to run Creeping Tar Pits because I just love that card. I would never have known that had you not told me. The Star City you, Games Tournament? You didn't talk about that on Twitter or anything like that about your love for Creeping Tar Pits. No, no, no. I never talk about things like that. How It's the best man land, dude. <laughs> that's That's the thing. So it's the best... Manland and standard, I should say, but Planeswalker Killer. Yeah, it's awesome. But uh, yeah, so anyway, that's that's totally cool. Well, I'm sorry that you did not have the best time. I was hoping that you would have been able to throw something together that was pretty solid. Uh, Live and learn, man. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I see. I would have liked to have played blue black, but I did not have all the cards that I needed for it in actual paper cards. Since most of my collection, well, m- most of my current standard collection resides online. And uh, so I have my blue-black deck online, which I love, but I decided to go Eldrazi Ramp because I had most of the cards for that. And, uh, yeah, that was, it was okay. I mean, I came in fifth. It was, Eldrazi is basically, it's like a seriously almost every game and this is one of the few times when this would happen, and I won't bitch about it. Like, almost every game, I got mana screwed. But it's not one of those situations where where I just didn't mulligan well. I actually am really happy with the way that I did mulliganing. That's one of the things I've been trying to really work on. And at one, at one of the games, I mulliganed to five and still took the match because I mulliganed down to what I needed. And that was that was a real key to me taking that game. I mulliganed a lot because I needed to mulligan a lot. It was weird getting mana screwed when my deck is built around ramping. It made no sense to me. I was totally thrown off because I'd practiced the deck online so much. And I never, I, I, I won't say never, but I'll say rarely get mana screwed. And, you know, it was like... I was. It was at a point where, if my tree speaker or my battlements got killed, 
I was just screwed. And it, so that that part sucked. But for the most part, I'm not going to sit there and, and, you know, complain about, about bad beats or anything. This was a day when, even though I only made fifth, I was happy with the way that I played. I, I felt like I didn't, I did not play badly. I wasn't disappointed. I wasn't angry like I was at the previous game day. This is just a situation where, um, well, like the, the last match that I ended up losing that basically took me out of the top four was to blue-black control, the deck that I, almost exactly the deck that I wanted to play to begin with. And so I wasn't disappointed at all because it was, you know, I, I, I didn't expect to lose, but I knew that it was going to be a bad matchup for me. You know, when, when turn one starts taking cards that I need out of my hand, that's a bad matchup for me. You know, and then it just, it just, you know, you have to be able to keep your mana ramp going, and when your overgrown battlements are dying to doom blades, and it's just, just in general, it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, a great matchup for me going against blue black, but but the rest of the time I, I had a really good time. This one one of the guys I played was it was actually kind of sad and yet hilarious at the same time because this guy said he's been out of magic for a while and uh and he starts dropping uh like mostly red lands but some green lands, red lands and he's uh He's playing like or- Oracle and Moldai and stuff, and pretty soon he drops a uh, a Chandra and like blasts my Tree Speaker, and and then he's just <laughs> sitting there pinging me with it with it, and uses it to blast a battlement, and then he drops Koth, and he's like, and I'm like, this guy just started playing Magic again, and he's got all these cards, but he he goes he goes, oh yeah, I just threw Koth in because I thought it would be funny. And then he proceeds to not activate Koth for the next four turns. And I was just like, okay, well, maybe you have been away from the game for a while, because <laughs> that's not doing you any good at all. But um, So I, I really thought I was going to be hard-pressed in the match when he dropped, as soon as he dropped Koth and he had Chandra already stuck on the board. But he, he didn't... Uh, he didn't seem to know what he was doing with it, so I mulled Shambler like shortly after and took Chandra out since she was my only threat. Since he apparently didn't like the idea of activating Koth, and uh, and by the time he realized that he should maybe start activating Koth, I'd pretty much had the game in hand. But you know, it was just there were some really interesting game matches, and uh, and I had a good time. I I looked back on it and I wasn't disappointed in my play. I wasn't disappointed really in my deck choice even though I would have preferred blue black. Um and I had I had some fun. I got to talk with uh with James who is the judge that is at that store which is Uncle's uh-huh. games and uh he's he's he had just recently written in like to the judge cast and gave them some information which they read on the air and everything and he he was talking to me about it so he said that he may actually want to come on every now and then just to help you know to to give a little judge speak if you will so he he might pop in every now and then I wouldn't I wouldn't expect it too often he's a pretty busy guy but 
Um, every now and then he might just come in and uh, be able to help some people out with some rules questions or things like that. So that that was pretty cool. Um, I I stomped him really bad, but oh, we geez. won't talk about that. Yeah, he's like at the at the uh, the game when we played, he was just like, oh yeah, I'm, I've been wanting to play you, and I was like, oh okay, you know that's cool, and then we played the match and then he just had to play another game afterwards because he just needed to try and it just didn't work out for him. This is good because you're talking to one of our potential guests and you're crushing him like a grape. Thanks, man. (laughs) No, no, man. It's We actually do want you on the podcast because we would enjoy having a judge on the podcast. No, it's awesome. Please ignore the fact that he's gloating in your honor, you know, of your defeat. I was happy about it because he was running like a really aggressive, like one of those quasi-goblin builds but with cough and things like that in there, and it was... uh, it was pretty pretty ruthless, so I was I was happy that I managed to hold out long enough to beat him, stomp him into the ground, you know, stuff like that. So anyway, but that's all because you know it's James, and and I feel like I can talk like that to him. As long as you say so. <laughs> Again, please do not be offended by the fact that he is talking about you like this. <laughs> we do want you on the show. Yeah, no, he's cool. He's a really good guy, so. And he, you know, he even tolerates the Thoktar boy, so if he can tolerate Ben, then he can pretty much tolerate anything, I think. That's true. But yeah, ben no, and he was actually up there with you, up in GP Toronto. He went up there for that to judge in, in uh, the Grand Prix, so. Well, then I probably saw him because he was one of the 800 judges that were running around like crazy, and I yes. think I stopped every judge there and talked <laughs> to him. I'm, I'm sure he got he got to revel in the glory that is Roberto at some yeah, point. Yeah, I pr- probably asked him some ridiculous question about it. and Well, yeah, well, you know. Did you ask He wasn't doing question? the main table, so that's that was okay. Then I didn't really <laughs> get too much of a time to talk to him. Yeah, yeah. Did you ask him questions like, how do you stop Valakut Ramp? Well, that would be a good question, because <laughs> right now that's a very good question, because right now stopping Valakut Ramp seems to be a runaway freight train right now. Yeah, um, well, let's see. To stop Valakut, you, uh, well, there's multiple ways that you could stop it, but taking away its, its, uh, wind conditions is always a good idea. If you know someone's playing, I, I'm assuming it's not a budget build, and it is running primevals, then Memoricide is a very good way to slow them down quite a lot. You take the primevals out of it, and it definitely slows things down for them. Um, yes. that being said, if, if you're running Memoricide and you manage to pull their primevals, tectonic edges are your new best friend, I would think, because then you can just sit there killing off their Valakuts. And, uh, you know, usually the main thing is with primeval is you can, you can almost win in a turn because as soon as you drop primeval, it's like two Valakuts hit the board and, and then, you know, you swing and, it, you you all of a sudden practically kill them, um, but if you can if you can get rid of primeval and then start destroying the uh, the Valakuts, then you're cutting off their main win conditions, which is a really solid play. Absolutely, it's it's funny because a lot of people don't like using the edges, but then when you watch Legacy and you see how they just destroy each other's land left and right, 
you realize that's a very valid way of playing because if you're if you're going to let your opponent control the game like that, well, you might as well pick up your cards because next turn, like you said, he's going to pull it out. He's going to hit you for six or twelve or whatever it's going to be. Plus, his Titan's got trample, so it's you have to do something. You have to be prepared for it, whether you know you sideboard in for it or whatever. You have to have some sort of hate for it because right now it is one of the standard decks in there that's out there. It's very valid. Yeah, and and to be honest with you, like. Unless unless I'm playing against something like with Quest for the Holy Relic in it or something, which I think is the worst deck that I ever play, that, and I play it like every five seconds, it seems like. And that Not is a li- deck out there, man. It's it, cheap. It is, it is cheap, and that's why I play it constantly. It drives me frigging crazy. But uh, anyway, the the uh, unless I'm playing against that, almost everyone runs Tectonic Edges because there's so many things that that shuts down. I mean. Being able to kill a man land with, you know, for one colorless is a pretty solid play. You know, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's a pretty big deal. And, you know, killing Valakut, killing man lands, that, that makes it worth it. Killing Eldrazi ramp lands and things like that. There's, there's a lot of reasons why, uh, tectonic edges are awesome. And then if you're running, like, say you're running blue black control and you're going with the elixir, elixir, slash trinket mage build then you can keep just shuffling your your graveyard into your library and you know getting those tectonic edges back out and using them over again which is always nice it is it's very efficient and with the way a lot of like you said a lot of people don't and we've, we've talked about this a lot of people do not prepare for the other decks in the sideboard, they don't have well-planned outside words for what is out there and what they should expect to have happen. Right. And therefore, it is it is a fatal flaw that people have. I, I can't... I see that all the time where you see people prepare decks and you see them list decks, and then all suddenly they don't have a sideboard. Yeah, exactly. you got to have a sideboard for the decks that you're afraid of. That's the thing. Is Valakut in your meta? Uh, when I played Game Day, I didn't see a single Valakut deck. So if I had sideboarded for that, then I would have been wasting my time, right? Yeah, but that's kind of weird because of how widely popular it is that you didn't see it once. I mean, yeah, it, it. But I mean, people either play better deck, which is you know there are better decks out there than Valakut Ramp. Valakut Ramp's awesome, but I personally prefer Eldrazi Ramp myself. And, you know, if you, any number of control decks can shut Valakut Ramp down, too. The, I guess the main question you would ask yourself when you're, you're looking to stop Valakut or any other deck is, what are you playing? Like, you know, if you're, if you're playing Quest for the Holy Relic and you're asking me how to shut Valakut Ramp down, uh, no clue. Like, you know, I just, I, I don't know that Quest for the Holy Relic necessarily has a way to shut Valakut down, right? But you know what? Quest for the Holy Relic should outrace Valakut. That's the and that's the point. They don't. That's what I'm saying. Like they don't yeah. need to, right? And just like the Goblin build, it's like, well, why are you trying to shut Valakut down? You know, the que- I guess the question would be, and I would ask this of our listeners: is if you if you have a question like, uh, how do I stop Valakut? Tell us what you're trying to play. You know, and then and then we can say, well, based on what you're trying to play, this is what we would do. You know, and and maybe 
maybe you know someone's trying to worry about Valakut when they don't need to be. Like if you're playing the Goblin deck that's out right now, you should kill them before they kill you. That's your whole goal. If you can't do that, then you probably shouldn't be playing Goblins. The the key is you've got to outpace them. You're ultra aggressive. Uh, control decks just have to find utilize the cards that can shut down, take out the key components of Valakut. So that's kind of just what you have to you have to really really look at what you're playing and whether or not it even has the ability to shut down Valakut. Quest for the Holy Relics horrible, by the way. Now, why do you say that? <laughs> I say it because of the fact that okay, look again. If if people are playing on a budget and and it's really easy to get access to. I, I don't deny them that. I think it's it's totally fine for that. It's just so narrow-minded to me that it's just it's the easiest deck to play against, in my opinion. Every time I see Quest for the Ro- Holy Relic hit the table, I get excited because I feel like it's almost like a free win for me. And and I'm not trying to be arrogant about that. It's just the truth. Like I get. There's there's a, uh, a multicolored control deck out there, right? I hate seeing it because if I'm playing like blue black, for instance, it ramps, it ramps control, and it's basically playing the cards the the best of my cards, but then at the same time it's ramping, so like it shuts off my mana leaks before before it would normally even matter anyway. It, it just it shuts everything down. They get so much mana that that it doesn't really matter too much what I do, they can they can just outplay me. They just have the ability to play like two or three spells a turn. And uh and that that's frustrating. But when it comes to quest for the holy relic, it's like, okay, turn one, quest for the holy relic, drop a memnite, uh, you know, gl- glimmer hawk or whatever, pick up the memnite, drop the memnite. Okay, now that's scary. But then, you know, that's that's assuming that you know they they have the god hand right that's when it gets scary but okay like for instance the last game that I you know we, you want to match god hand for god hand the last game that I played okay with my Eldrazi was against quest for the holy relic and I played turn 2 overgrown battlements turn 3 overgrown battlements overgrown battlements okay Turn four, Ulamog, concession, right? So that's the thing. It doesn't matter what he's got. It doesn't matter how fast that stupid thing comes out because he's still going to die because he's not going to destroy Ulamog. And, you know, the next turn he no longer has any permanence on the table. And it just seems like, like they put all their eggs into one basket, right? And and it's true they can beat you down with a ton of little things. But if you're playing, like, okay, for instance, if I'm playing blue-black control, right? Yes. Memor aside, our, our gentum armor, right? So that means yeah. now the only thing I'm worried about is, like, maybe a sort of body and mind and a bunch of little pansy guys, Right? And then, you know, if, if, if that becomes a worry, then I'll, like, I have ratchet bombs, right? And even I have consumed the meek in my sideboard. 
So if it becomes oh. a worry to where like all these little guys are hitting me after I've taken away the Argentum armor, I will just uh, consume the meek and get rid of them all. And then from then on, drop a worm coil and they just that's just done, right? They just can't beat that. So it it just it doesn't seem like it seems like it's just way too much of a one trick pony, in my opinion. I know there are different ways to get out your your artifacts, and I get that. I, I I respect the deck for what it is. I just think that if you know how to play it, play against it, it's one of the weaker decks out there, if you know how to play against it. If you don't know how to play against it, then it's going to stomp your face because you, you aren't going to see what's coming. But it's just out there right now all over the place, and I think most people should be gathering how to play against it by now. Well, I think the one thing you talk about that that's good is, I mean, it's out there right now, but like you said, it's going to be overplayed, so therefore people are going to be prepared for it, and there's going to be a, it's going to have its little moment in the sun right here, and then it's just going to fade away. Yeah, and I mean, I guess my feeling about it right now is about like people felt about Soul Sisters, right? It's like, I'm just playing against it so much, and... And it is frustrating because it's like it, it is very lethal very quickly, but I I just feel like it's so easy to shut down too, you know. And either they're gonna go off by like turn three at the latest, or they're going to lose. Really, is uh, because they have no late game hardly at all. It seems like so if you can shut down their their win conditions early, then they just are kind of you know. Uh, just like plinking away at you with Memnites and Squadron Hawks, and it just doesn't. If you have any form of life gain or any way to board wipe, it just seems to shut it down. Well, every deck has its strengths and its weaknesses, and in this case, it does have. I would. I'm gonna vague just say it. It has a very small window of opportunity to be very powerful. But then again, like I said, you have prepared hate for it. Then it is it becomes nothing more than just, you know, how soon do I get my hate out before you get your game going? Right, right. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, a blue-black player could just sit there waiting for them to, you know, use their holy relic, and out comes the Argentum armor and Doomblade, right? And all of a sudden they've got this... Argentum armor out, and they've got their three planes, and you know they're not going to see a fourth or a fifth plane for like six turns because they play so few lands in that deck. And it's just like, okay, well, they've got it out there, but now they can't do anything with it, right? And then you just, if they if they put out uh, something to be able to attach that sooner than disfigure or whatever, you just... If you know how to play it and how to take care of the things that need to be taken care of, it's really not that huge of a threat. But, but yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a solid deck, and if people need a budget build, I would recommend it. But I'm just telling you, like, I just see it so much right now that it, it drives me crazy. Well, it's always good to have something that makes you upset in the world of magic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I dig does it. Anything else, does anything else bother you in the world of magic? Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. So we won't we won't go there. I, I've decided that, especially after finding out that all the uh, the comments that were that I I'd heard bad things said about me and about the show, 
And uh, it turns out that it was a uh, friend of mine flipping me shit and sent it from a fake email address. So that's what all that was about. Well, you shouldn't talk about KYT like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. KYT, damn you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you yeah. to take over the entire magic community. Right, exactly. Well, I'm glad that, you know, I have people like John Medina to basically tell me to stop being a bitch and, uh, and to tell him to suck it, so that that made me happy. That does not surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that always keeps you going, you know. And and that's the thing is, like, my friend specifically knew how to get to me, and that's why it bugged me because normally I really just don't, you know. I I love the listeners, I love our fans, and and I don't mind the criticism that people might have, but. But generally, I just let that stuff kind of bounce off of me, or I kind of even feed upon it. But this this guy was like, this guy, meaning a friend of mine, was, uh, yeah, not very cool, to say the least. So, knew how to get under my skin, for sure. It's always good to be taken to the woodshed by the people that actually care about you. <laughs> I almost was tempted to send it when you were telling me about it, to say, oh, it's actually, I did it, so. Are you serious? I was thinking about That's it. That's funny, man. That's hilarious. Yeah. I'm taking the knife for that one. But. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much it about that. Now, did you um, have anything else? I think someone was wanting us to talk about a couple other things. Do you know what those are off the top of your head? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. i show you what you do for show prep today. Um Talk about uh, best decks and how you prepare and play for best decks. Are you talking about meta, or are you talking about like yeah, your your own meta? How you prepare for best decks? Um, well, it I I really base my meta, like even my store's meta, off of online. And what I usually will do is I will figure that uh, that uh, you know I play online. And I figure out what the main decks are. And you can, if you don't play online, you can still go get like MTGO breakdowns um, of what the meta looks like online, and see like what decks are being played and things like that. And then you can you can also just check like the meta from recent events, um, recent like Grand Prix or PTQs or whatever. Um, if you can, you can check those and what, what I usually will expect, like say if I'm just going to like a game day, like this last game day, I expected to see probably one or two Eldrazi decks. I expected to see the Goblins deck and, uh, I expected to see Blue Black Control. I expected, you know, some of the, I actually expected to see Valakut. but I'll expect, depending on, you know, say if, if I'm figuring there's going to be like only like 30 people, at an event, I'll expect to see, if it's just like a game day or something, probably five, six copies of a top deck, right? Like, not copies of a deck, but five or six top decks from the players that are really solid players there. And then I'll expect to see a bunch of of second-tier decks and then some budget decks, right? So I will look at at a lot of the budget decks and things like that online, and I will definitely expect to run into those. Um, and then you, you, there's the unaccounted for jank that you're going to see where people are just putting together these rogue decks, 
and you'll occasionally, of course, come across people that are just playing with with literally complete garbage, and that's not to say anything for them because they're playing for the love of the game, but it's, you know, I mean, I played against a kid um, a couple game days ago. It might have been M10 game day, actually, and uh, he was playing with cards that, like, had water damage, he was playing in clear sleeves, and, like, pieces of the backs were torn off. And no one had the heart to say to him, hey, man, that's basically a marked card, right? Because he was, he was playing with what he had. And so even though he did really bad and it was, you know, uh, it, was, it was just one of those things where we all let him play and we were all cool to him because he was, do- he was playing because he wanted to play. So, so there's those people. But the main thing is to meta, metagame, you're going to want to... Uh, to look at the metagame, the current metagame, based on online, based on major tournaments, decide on a deck that you think out of those decks would be the top deck. And this is only if you have the resources to do that. And then try and get an idea of what people at that event will probably be playing. Like if you know you're going to a a Portland Grand Prix, then look at events that have taken place in Portland, in or around Portland, and see what the metagame was like at that time, because more than likely you're probably going to run into a lot of those types of decks. Um, you know, for for Oregon states, for instance, I'm sure that you know it, whoever uh, took the top eight of Oregon states, you're probably going to see a lot of those decks at a Grand Prix that takes place in Oregon. I mean, that's of course there are different time frames, but that's the main thing. Um, and I just, I, you know, sideboard against the decks. Like, if you practice with your deck, find out what its weak points are, and then build a sideboard um, of hate for the weak parts of your deck. There are a lot of a lot of weaknesses. There is no perfect deck out there. As much as people like to say that their deck is the greatest deck, it's the greatest deck for the 30 seconds in time you have it until it's played at MTGO and beaten to a pulp by everybody because everybody goes, oh, this is the great new deck. Let's play it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, it has weaknesses against X, Y, and Z. And people start exploiting it. And then it becomes, like you said, the quest of the, the holy relic where now it becomes a victim of everybody now expecting it to be there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I mean, it's seriously, MTGO is such an, a brilliant example of the met, how the metagame shifts so quickly. Because if you go on there, I mean, there's been times when I'd say I'd play, uh, you know, I don't know. This is, um, I'd play one deck against a guy and... I'd, I'd rejoin the tournament room like immediately after I beat him and same guy would join and he'd have a completely different deck that he had specifically switched up his deck because he was hoping to, to encounter me again knowing that my deck would be weak to whatever deck he switched to and and that's that's just the way the game shifts I mean if you're if you're playing with with Eldrazi and you notice that uh, that people are definitely ready for Eldrazi in the gaming room online, then you switch to Control, or you switch to Valakut Ramp, or, I mean, a lot of the things that kills Eldrazi would kill Valakut Ramp too, but it's just the idea that, you know, you switch to something, I mean, switch to the Holy Relic deck if you've got it. 
There's you. It's just don't recommend people switching to the holy. <laughs> Let, let's let's not let's not give people bad ideas. Hey, we're you know you're helping people. Oh, I know. Well, I mean, like I said, the deck's solid. You're going to get a lot of wins with the deck, but you're just not going to get a lot of wins against me. So, you know, it all depends. I mean, if you want to beat me, then you probably shouldn't play it. And if you don't want to beat me, then go for it. You might have it. You know, I mean, I'm assuming, I would have to assume that a lot of people are getting that deck down. You know, really, like, being able to plan victories against that deck. But I may be wrong. Well, if you'd like to take your frustration out on tangent, what is your <laughs> online moto account so people can crush you into the ground with it? Uh, that would be tangent d y n. So, and I will be more than happy to play against your quest for the holy relic decks as much as you want. Sign up, crush them like a grape, and then let us all know. Send us. You an should email. have been in that room watching the uh, the the. Gavin win that that Star City Games tournament though that was pretty sweet. It was uh he was playing that like I said the vampires and it was just you know pulse trackers and and that uh vampire that two casting cost vampire that whenever a vampire goes to the graveyard you pay like a colorless or whatever it is and uh and it deals damage and you gain life like deals two damage target player and you gain two life or whatever. Yeah, the it's called the Elder or something or other. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's a really nice card. You you pay a black when a creature dies, and you gain right. two life, and your opponent loses two life. Yeah, exactly. It's that, and you know, just a bunch of different things like that. I can't remember if he was running Blade of the Blood Chief, but he had he had some. Uh, I think he had Blood Throne Vampire, and and uh, I'm sure captivating vampires and stuff. But he he did uh, pretty solid with it. And he was running uh, Inquisitions. Things like that. It was it was cool. It was a pretty solid deck. Even I was mentioning it on on Twitter, and and Smitty said that it's a really obnoxious deck, but that it's that it's pretty solid. And in the hands of Gavin, does that surprise anybody? No, I don't think so. Considering <laughs> what he's done for himself, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's done great things, and he is. Yeah, I think he's becoming a better Magic player all the time. So, you know, he's piloted some pretty uh, decent finishes recently. Even uh, with uh, Conley's Soul Sister deck, he, I think he got like ninth or something. Yeah. The other question we got asked was, when you're building a sealed pool, and I know we talked about sealed just a little bit ago, but we were asked, what? how do you know you're building the best deck out of your sealed pool? Even, you know, because, I mean, you, you you can look at cards and assess cards and determine what you feel is best, but how do you know you are playing the best deck out of what you're playing from your seal pool? Uh, if you're winning, then you're probably on the right track, and if you're losing, you're not. <laughs> I you know just, what? I'm, ki- I'm that, kidding, of course. But. <laughs> killing me on that one, man. Yeah, well, you know... I, I mean, look at it this way. You just got through actually building a pretty solid sealed deck. How about you start out by answering this question, and I'll I'll see uh, how that goes and see if I want to add anything. Well, to build the best sealed deck, you really have to look at what your co- well. In the, unfortunately, or fortunately, in in scars, the artifacts slash mirror can determine really what you play and how many colors you can splash into. I mean, literally, with the right mirror, you can go three colors without a blink of an eye. And the power of the artifacts can really determine 
where you go with colors and how you play it, you obviously are looking for, well, first you look through your bombs, turn which bombs are the best, and then you go and see what, what works together, what deck can you put together that has uh, a synchronicity to it, or that's an improper word, that meshes well together, that you can get out of it to be able to do everything it needs to do for you to win. It's got to be able to, you know, have the ability to be effective in whatever you think is you're going to play against. Uh, you see, you can build an infect deck without having all infect creatures if you have the right cards, like the Tainted Strike, like the Grafted X Skeleton. But you have to feel comfortable in building the right mana ramp or the right ramp to it, because a lot of times what I've seen has been the biggest problem is all suddenly there are a lot of people that see the cards that are five, six casting cost, and they'll get fascinated by them because they have nice big shiny numbers at the end of it, such as fives and sixes and sevens. And the problem is, is they never get to it because if you're playing against a really fast infect deck, you'll never get to that round to get to it. Yeah, that's very true, man. And removal, removal, removal. If you can get it or you can splash for it, you know, splashing white for arrest and things like that and red for galvanic blast and arc trail. I mean, even if you don't have those as solid colors, splashing them as a third color to be able to use them as removal is so important in a set that is lacking serious removal. Right. Um, I, I would add that, you know, one of the things you want to do is have an idea about pick, like a pick order, um, what cards are solid and limited. And that th- the thing is, is that doesn't, doesn't mean that if it's good in a draft that it's good in sealed. But it is a good starting point to, like, have an idea of what cards are good just in general. Because then you can be, you know, like a person who opens up a, uh, like a glint hawk, for instance, right? Uh, say the person, say this is their first sealed tournament, okay? They really haven't played too much. They're learning the game. They might look at it and go, one for a 2-2, that's pretty cool, but I got to return an artifact to my hand. So that's, you know, I just, I don't... That seems like a lot, right? Like people might be going, "Oh, well, that's that's a pretty high cost for that card." When in reality, it's nothing in the set. But and in fact, it's one of the best cards, like one of the best picks that you just want to see for a common, right? It's just a it's a great card. And so, uh, you know, just like a card like that. You you really want to make sure that you have cards like that. Low casting cost, evasive cards are really good. The only way that you really know is when you when you take a step back from your deck and you look at the kind of synergy that you were able to put together. I mean, you, it could be that, that your only synergy is like ultra aggressive, and then you've got like one, two, and maybe you know a few three and a couple a couple three and four drops, but for the most part a bunch of one and twos, and maybe even some pump spells or, or something like that. That's that's one way to go, an uh, ultra-aggressive deck. And then you've got, like, different control type decks. And in Scars, you, you've got decks that really work well with counters, and you've got other decks where you don't need counters at all, so Proliferate won't do anything. Um, 
proliferate like contagion clasps and things like that and contagion engine those things go really well with poison so you automatically are going to want to think about that try and look at how much synergy your deck is going to have together um and and you know also again you want to have some early drops regardless like sealed games have a tendency to go a little bit longer than than drafts in general but this format can be pretty fast actually this uh scars of mirrodin and so you could see someone who gets a deck where they're really heavy in one two and three drops and if you don't have any one two and three drops you can be pretty close to being dead before you even have a chance to do anything that is true and that, like we spoke about before you know the the uh the infect can get out quick especially with the flying the flying one he can get out there quickly and start scoring some serious numbers against you even the mirror that get out early if you don't have an answer for it and they drop mirror turn 2 that gives a mana turn 3 they're able to play a four drop right exactly and quickly quickly they can get to a number that you can't withstand yeah you know? yeah right and I guess I guess it would also matter, right? That that like what tournament you're playing. If you're playing oh. like like an F and M or not an F and M because you wouldn't be playing sealed, but like say a uh, pre-release or a release, that's very different from playing in a grand prix, right? Because in a grand prix, when you decide on your deck, you're stuck with that. And and so don't be afraid even at a grand prix though, where if you realize, oh, I built. A little off, like, like I like the uh, my deck's okay, but when I sideboard in these cards, it's so much better, right? Well, then don't be afraid to to sideboard, like really sideboard, really utilize your sideboard. A lot of people when they build a sealed deck, they don't even touch their sideboard, and that's definitely the wrong play. Well, I will tell you this: um, when I did that, I was very fortunate that. Scotty Mack and Mr. Mo Magic, who, if you are not following on Twitter, you should be. Uh, Mr. Mo Magic has tremendous insights on sealed and standard. And I lay out my deck and I put it down for them and say, okay, this is how I built it. What do you think? And they would sit there and go, wait a minute. You might want to put this one, this one, this one, this one in. So what happened is I would be playing and game two, I'd be shifting out <laughs> three or four cards. Yeah, it was it was just honest mistakes. But you know what? You are you are in the position to have people give good advice, sound advice, and to be able to run with it. It's it's a possibility of you looking at an archetype, looking at something, and saying this really would work. But when you're well, like we talked about, how you know you're playing the best deck. If you're putting up your blinders and you're so focused and drilled on one thing that you can ignore stuff, and this is exactly what happened to me, is both times it was like you really should be sideboarding these cards and these work much better for you in the decks, and they were right. So it is always nice to get opinions of others. That's what's the great thing about when the pros get the buys and they sit there and play their decks. They're talking about their decks. They're going through their decks. They're... They're talking about, you know, oh, should I put this one in or that one in? And it, it gives right. them such a tremendous advantage when it comes to playing. Yeah, exactly. 
And I mean, you, you okay? If you're doing a pre-release or release, don't be afraid to change up your deck drastically if you feel it needs to be changed because you can do that at any time. I mean, obviously not during the game, but but you you can change your deck. Like your deck in the beginning of game of match one does not have to be the same as it is at the beginning of match two, like it does when you're playing a major tournament. So change it up all you want. And when you're playing in like a, a real tournament, like a PTQ or, or a uh, Grand Prix, still, especially like with Scars, you, Scars is this amazing, uh, amazing form or set, I should say, where like I have literally done this, and I know KYT's done this, um, where I, I, you know, one of the one of the matches I was playing, or one of the events I was playing, I started out red-white, and I it, it just so happened that I had a decent number of, of uh, infect also, and I had considered going infect, but I really liked some of my red-white cards, and I played a matchup against the guy where I was just like, oh my god, like, this guy would be so easy to take out with infect, right? So... After game one, I sideboarded, and I knew that he was going to be preparing for all the artifacts and things that I had in red-white. And so after game one, I uh, sideboarded out all my red-white and sideboarded in my green-black infect, and I ended up throwing in completely off and, and won that. And I know that, that uh, KYT, I think he said in during Grand Prix Toronto that he sideboarded like 20-some cards. That wouldn't surprise me, and it's it's the ability to have a little perspective on how you're playing and what you're playing, and realizing the weak weaknesses and strengths of it. The matchup, like you said, can determine it. I I, I really think about the matchups I had against the caught decks, and wondering now that I go over it again, could I have substituted out a color, brought in another color? that would have worked better against it, that would have been able to get me to where I needed to against them. And that's an honest an honest mistake that we all make when it comes to it because we think all the time when we're assessing it that we are never wrong. And how completely untrue that is. Yeah, I, and I think one of, the, one of the main things that happens that gets us to feel that way is we honestly feel after we, we built the deck the first you know, the, the way we did, we might think, oh, maybe a card or two could have been different. But we have a tendency, I believe, to think that we just got unlucky. You know, oh, they drew all the cards they needed. You know, it's like, well, maybe you didn't quite build it right. And maybe, maybe you did build it right, but not against this, this guy. And that's why you need to look at a different direction when you sideboard and say, okay, well, you know, maybe I don't have a lot of things that can necessarily take take out his cards, I don't have removal or things I could sideboard in, but maybe you have things that will throw throw off his game. And, you know, maybe like the guy's deck just isn't prepared for infect, and that's why even if you have, you know, not the most ideal infect creatures, maybe if you can sideboard them in, then, then or, you know, maybe you're playing against a guy who's not playing infect at all, and so you want to sideboard in your, uh, what are they, the, uh, that infect spell that gives plus one, plus zero, and infect or whatever. Taint strike. Yeah, the taint strike. So you want to you want to give the, the guy some taint, right? 
Exactly. Absolutely. Okay, so, you know, enough about the taint. Let's uh, move on to... Well, we were sent, actually, some deck lists by a gentleman, Ronald Murphy, who sent us some deck lists a while ago that we went over. And he just says, hey, again, I messaged you guys a long time ago with a four-color Titanic Planeswalker control deck. And you said that you would love to see how the deck ended up post-rotation, so here you go. And he uh, he sent the Planeswalker Control 2.0. Um, you know, is there is there anything you... Did you want me to run down the list, or was there anything you wanted to say about this, just looking at well, it? Well, list, we'll list the list online uh, in yeah, the show notes. Yeah, exactly. I... Again, I'm a huge fan of the fact that uh, he is going Infernal Titan, especially after our Michael Jacob interview. Uh, to I've been really looking over the value of the Infernal Titan as far as just getting there for the win over the uh, the blue one that just allows you to control the game. Right. I almost like the fact that the red one gets in there quicker and decides the game quicker, and that's a personal opinion on that. The land is good because it's 25, which is smart on a deck that needs more land like that. I find that using Wall of Omens, I know he's using it for draw, but I I don't know. I'm hearing more and more pros. Wall of Omens is on the way out the door. And I don't know. I, I think pros. I, I, yeah, I think uh, someone's joining us at this moment. It would happen to be, I don't know. It sounds like a road warrior entered the building. Greetings. What is up? Not much. Not much. Sorry for being a little bit uh, behind here, but I had to um, <laughs> throw you my uh, my Swiss game. Nice, nice. Oh. What were you uh, scars? I'm assuming. Yes. Uh, how, what what did you end up building? We were just talking about actually building. Uh, we were talking about sealed, but uh, what what did you build in the draft? Uh, actually, it was a sealed. I played the four, oh. the four booster three round sealed. Oh, they did start that up. Oh, yeah. oh, that's awesome. I love yeah, the four they, booster. They started a day for zero tickets, four boosters, thirty thirty um, thirty card sealed. Oh, but um, I built a uh, red white uh, metal craft deck that um, had Indomitable Angel in it. Oh. <laughs> So nice. I had um, a couple of different flyers, had a couple of, of gliders in it. Um, I actually had a contagion clasp and a contagion engine. Ooh. A nice. scrap melter and a turn to slag. And um, uh, Gallum's Warden, the guy who comes like a 4-6 with you have Metalcraft. Yeah, yeah. And and the double striker, the edge rider, that if you have Metalcraft. Wow. And I, and I had a couple of artifact um, um, poison guys, and I figured it's like, well, either they're good for counters, or if I get the contagion into online, I could just wax them out from one counter down. Right. So, but I never actually cast a contagion engine, but nonetheless, it was good enough where I overran everybody. That one <laughs> game that I got stuck on, though, it took like 15 minutes, and I was kind of, I just couldn't draw anything. Yeah. But no, it's the last game. Look, lasted me less than two minutes for. Wow, I dude! Seriously, that's that's awesome, man. I, what uh, do you think about those four pack sealed tournaments? I really like them. Um, in fact, uh, the, when they started up the N11 ones, like a few, like some months ago, I did almost exclusively that, where I played the four the four sealed, the, the four booster sealed in M11 and um, redeemed an entire playset that way. 
Yeah, you know, I, basically, just basically winning new boosters and keep keep throwing the same boosters into plane and not selling any of the rares back. Right. So I, I, until I got down to the point where it only it was like only needed like like eighty tickets to fill out the set, so I did. Yeah, I've been I've been promoting the uh, four boosters. I I swear to God that I have like so much luck, even more luck opening like good bomby cards, mythics, and things like that in the four boosters than I do in. And I know it's really it shouldn't be that way, but it just seems like I pull these sick decks all the time in the four booster sealed. And I I dig that. I th- I think it's really great. I have a lot of fun, and not to mention the payouts. It's really uh really good. Yeah, I think the payouts are worth it, and and that way, you know, it allows me to play every day, three to three to five hours every night before I go to bed, and then and I can build out a set that way, and yeah, have a life collection too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's really it's definitely more beneficial than playing the sealed draft because the sealed draft you just don't you, know, you win the whole thing, and you don't even buy yourself another sealed draft. At least with this thing, if you if you win your three three matches, you get five packs. It's like you know, time yeah. to do another. Yeah, and the goal is really to go two one because with two one you can basically feed it constantly. Right. Yeah, it's awesome. So. And if you get if you get the three zero, you get the bonus booster. But if you go two one, you you get enough where you get three three packs. So you just keep feeding it that way. Right. Yeah, it's great, man. I I really love that thing. Roberto here, he he doesn't do a whole lot of MTGO, but you know, he ah, that requires upfront money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're too busy working the system on workstation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I, I heard you guys doing your special interview on a, on a possible new show. Did you want to say anything about that? Is that is that something that's seriously in the works, or is that uh, still yeah. under wraps? No, no, no. It's, it's um, I gave I gave Roberto quite a few contacts in Facebook that ninety three of them. <laughs> I'm just saying, of people that would be possible interview candidates, from anywhere from Pro Tour players to um, archaic legends of the game, in one respect or another, to members of R&D. What, what, so, do you have an example of an archaic legend of the game that he's uh, going to be looking at, or is that is that on the DL until you figure out if they're going to do it or not? Well, an I archaic have to add, I, Thanks. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I still have to... Um, I still had to, you know, ask them and whatnot to see if they're interested. But right. like, um, as far as like an really old school name, George Baxter is is somebody that not a lot of people would know about. But he he basically created the idea of magic theory before the Pro Tour existed. Wow! And wrote and wrote a half a dozen books on magic theory before the Pro Tour existed. See, you're definitely sound like the man to be out here doing this because your knowledge of this and your experience with the game alone will will point you in the right direction. Not to mention all the people that you know. There's lots of people that I know. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just a matter of it's like, well, a lot of these people I've known over the years, but I've not talked to in the last several years. So it's a matter of you know, just getting them to remind who I am, and then asking them, and then see if they're interested, and then I can get. Rob in there to ask lots of good questions because I'm really bad at asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've done a pretty good job from what I've heard before. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's that's really awesome that that you have this uh, 
this group of people, this basis at least, you know, if nothing else, these people have heard of you. They do know you, you know, they, even if they've lost touch over a certain period of time, it's a lot of pe- a lot of these guys probably would be happy to come in and talk about things that they haven't talked about in a while. Oh, I'm sure they will. Especially, you know, the, that and there's like half a dozen of them that are both now pro poker players as well as former Magic players. Oh, very nice. So you so you can cover both realms and you have a lot of other interesting topics. Anyways, so I gave Rob I gave um Rob a whole bunch of different contacts on Facebook and some of them um in time I'll I'll get emails out to and asking them if they'd be interested. Um one person I already had sent an email to but I've not heard a response yet from. Oh, okay. That's cool. Well, uh, good luck to you guys definitely, you know. I mean, I I think it will be awesome. We were talking with the suitcase about it before um uh, before apparently whatever it was that came up with his family life and wouldn't allow him to be able to do it but um i think it's a great idea and i think that you've got a good person here working with you on it because roberto is he definitely is a man when it comes to putting his nose to the grindstone that's cool i think it'll work out i don't really fear i don't really fear anybody because i've been there done that and i guess as i said if i've i've stood in I stood in locker rooms with, I with guess a bunch of naked pros. Yeah, with a bunch of naked pro men. <laughs> so you know, I guess dealing with a with a bunch of magic players that you know really don't make the money that these guys do. You know, I think it'd be a little. I don't think it would be as difficult. And like we've talked before, these guys want an opportunity to promote themselves, to be able to get themselves out to more people, and get their name if their name is if their name's already recognized get you ways to get to them because that's the way they make more money. Oh, yeah, you know, man. He, you know, Conley, when he's on all the time, he talks about, you know, I do my stuff on Channel Fireball. I do my stuff on TCG Player. You know, did, did, he, self-promotion. You yourself. Self-promotion. <laughs> way to simplify it for him, man. <laughs> yes. And if you're able to do that and be able to be good at it, you can make a decent living at this, you know, and I'm not going to claim to make any living at this. I claim to do this because I strictly love it. And if I tried to do this like this living, I'd be rather trouble and without a wife and three kids. But that's okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, man. Thanks. Well, hey, I, it's a great idea. I'm glad you guys are doing it. A lot of people are. And, you know, you've already got, it sounds like even uh, the gin on the on the comments, once again, you know, he... he uh, He's even cool with uh, Roberto coming and sharing some space at the uh, at the Grand Prix, so that's cool. Yeah, I'm fine with that too. I mean, it's no big deal. It's just you know, one person can't talk for 12 hours constantly on his own. He needs like people to bounce ideas off and to keep the conversation fresh. I don't know. Oh, Have you uh, heard Roberto? Rashad does a pretty damn good job of it on Gigi's <laughs> live. Who who does? Rashad. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, but even he finds there's limits to what he can do, too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, that's cool, man. Um, we were uh, we were just going over some, like I said, some things about Sealed, and uh, people were asking us, what the, how do you know you've built the best Sealed deck that you can build? Do you have any uh, tips on that, any pointers? 
how to build the best sealed deck you can build. Yeah, like how do you know that the cards that you've selected are the right ones? And I, I of course, jokingly said because you're winning, and if you're losing, obviously you don't have the right one, but there's a lot more to it than that. So, Well, well that and you're looking at results-oriented, and that may not be the case of how to build the best sealed it, deck. Yeah, exactly. It was a joke, and I, you know, we did talk, break it down a little bit, but did you have any, any ways that you go about building the best sealed deck that you can? Uh, some suggestions would be to, if you're running, if you're running 30 cards, you want at least 12 land, possibly 13 mana sources. Um, it's kind of important because of mirrors. Or if you're wanting, if you're running the 40 cards, then you want to go at least 17, uh, sometimes 18, depending on your curve. But the idea is you want a consistent curve. You want to be able to hit stuff early game and mid game that are good quality creatures. You want to have probably at least 17 to 18 creatures in your deck if you're running a 40 card. And you want tricks like uh, bounce spells or instant removal or instant damage prevention if you can help it. You want to have some kind of trick so you can actually uh, fight better in combat. So it's like... I try to build my decks too much of a formula sometimes, so I get into that rut because I'm, I'm certainly not the best player. If you're looking like Real sealed deck building advice. That'd be something you could find on, like, <laughs> um, you know, like a real site. Oh yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, no. I understand, man. I, I just, you know, we we all have our ideas about what what works and what doesn't. And uh, you know, I mean, one of the main things that we were talking about is is making sure that you have an early game because even if you have the biggest bombiest cards, yeah, you know, if it's a format where there's a lot of really low cost aggressive cards, you could be dead before you get a chance to pull those out. So. Yeah, an example of that being like um, Mirage, Tempest, and uh, Zendikar slash Worldwake. Right. Where those formats were, if you were not attacking on turn three and have board position in ter- on turn three, you were probably losing the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in those cases, you want to go with really low-cost curve, try to get two-powered stuff, and just get in there with them. In other formats like Rise, which I've which I did do really well in. Um, that format's all about clogging up the board with with mid-sized walls and then going for like seven drop, eight drops. Yeah, and yeah, and that was in Rise. Yeah, I mean, well, the Rise was a, was a format that was a little different than we were used to, just because you could even actually like, you know, uh, not take the play and do well. Right. I mean, I I always like to have the play regardless, but that was one of those formats where a lot of people passed that so that they could uh, be on the draw. And uh, there's not too many formats lately that that have been like that. People like drawing on the core sets as and rise they like to draw on, and sometimes yeah, basically it's the core sets pretty much. They a lot of people like to draw on, and then rise was a big drawing format, but. I'm always one who's uh, big on getting my mana developed quickly, so I usually take the aggro stance in that re- in that regard. Even if I, I'm building a slower control deck, I right. want to at least develop my mana faster, so that when I do have my answers, yeah, I'm down a card, but I at least have the ability to cast them when I get them and make them more effective. But that's just that's a personal opinion, and a lot of the pros actually disagree with that thinking. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but everyone, I mean, even the pros have their own way of looking at things. So you know, they're not all the same, and it's cool. We are we are definitely allowed to play the way that we feel the most comfortable. 
And then something else you want to have, special is kind of especially important in, in Scars format, is you need more than one plan of action to win a game. Yes. You have to Absolutely have... Absolutely agreed. I mean... Go ahead. The you, lack of diversity of your deck is a big problem. If you don't have, a, a, and I described this before, an A plan, which is your main course of action, and then a backup plan in case the main plan doesn't doesn't go right, you will lose, and you will lose a lot. Yeah, I've seen that happen more than I would like to see happen. So you really need two plans of action your deck can handle, and you need tricks in your deck, and you need well-costed aggressive creatures, and you need well-costed mid-level creatures. And then a lot of times I don't play higher-end creatures just because of the cost, but um, usually when it gets to things that are more than five mana, I have to be, I have to have a good reason to want to play that, that card, not just throw it in there because it, it looks bomby. Right, right. Yeah, exactly, man. Uh, well, that's cool. I you just wanted some of your insight on there. I know you've been doing some, uh, well, you did pretty well, actually, in a recent sealed, uh, stomping some faces. That was, was, that just a that wasn't a release that was like a PTQ or something. What was that that you were just recently had, went like that nine a, and 0? that was the, the release event that I release okay the release event where I pulled uh, two planeswalkers. Yeah, that was insane. <laughs> that was so insane. Two planeswalkers and like didn't you have like a worm coil or or a, I had a worm coil engine and a sunblast angel. Oh my god, that's insane. Yeah, it's because he really actually played the uh, pre-release and had those in his pocket. Don't let him fool you, right? (laughs) Oh, no, no. (laughs) I know, man. Uh, Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, on that, actually on that episode, you, um, I think you talked to uh, Kegel again, and uh, they were talking about maybe getting the school bus, like, back up and running. Have you heard any more on that? Every time I've talked to him, I kind of convinced him he needs to do it. This last time says, ah, "All right, I'll do it for my my one year ship, one my one show per year thing." And I haven't heard anything back. From <laughs> so, I don't I don't get that man. That show is so good, and everyone loved it so much. You'd think that they'd want to do it just for their own egos, if nothing else. Well, except that the primary co-host, the guy who actually got the show going with Cable, Rob Rob Spire, he doesn't live in Colorado anymore. Right. And Kegel doesn't play Magic anymore, oh, so <laughs> so you got a, a you know a weird diversity. He's like, well, he occasionally will show up at tournaments and be like, he's like the per, he's like a professional railbird now. He'll show <laughs> up at tournaments around round six, seven, so he can watch the action in the top eight. Gotcha. But he doesn't play. Well, so, I mean, yeah, but you, all you have to do is bring in someone that I mean, even back in the days of the school bus, he still was like the. The guy who wasn't real serious about his play, whereas Shermeyer was, you know, the the pro more or less, you know. So it, it, I would think that if he found someone, even if he got Conley on there, it would be uh, it'd be fun and games all over again. Well, Conley wants to do it, but it's a matter of you know getting them, you know, whatever happens. I'm just trying to throw it out there, man. We got to get the support back for the school bus because it's a good show. So if you know people start saying, "Hey, come back," then maybe maybe he'll actually want to do it. Who knows? Maybe, but he's a he's he's a somewhat busy person. Giggles is a somewhat busy person, but he does do he does a really good job of radio, and yeah. he could eventually be a, a an actual radio talk show host if he wanted to be. Yeah, for sure, he he is solid, and I've never heard a single person that said that they did not like that show. So, 
Yeah. But you know, if, if there's any if there's any silver lining to that whole idea, uh Connolly is moving a considerably closer distance to Kegel. Oh really? Nice. So he's gonna be not a matter of, you know, across town so much as now it's gonna be a matter of a couple miles maybe. Yeah, because there's not, like, anything called Skype or anything where they might actually be able to just jump on there and talk to each other. I'm yeah. kidding, of course. But, you know, yeah, I mean, that's cool, man. I, I just, th- I think it's sad. Is is Shermeyer just not doing anything anymore? He has a real job. He's got a career. He's got a career and everything. Oh, so he does, just doesn't play Magic anymore? Is that what's going on? Well, I don't know what Shermeyer does. He doesn't live in Colorado. Right, right. Oh, okay. I well, I didn't know if you stayed in contact or anything. Yeah, so, I mean, last, I heard for a while that he had a job in Kentucky, I heard it a while that he had a job in, like, Tennessee. And, gotcha. And, uh, somewhere down in, I don't know what like, Mississippi or Louisiana, I thought, is what I remember hearing, but I'm not sure about that. And it's, it's in the oil industry, so, who knows? Very who knows nice. So, while we had, uh, Otwell on here, did you have anything you wanted to say to him there, uh, Robert? Uh, no, we're just, uh, like I said, this is a development in progress, and you know, there's lots of things you got to work out, like schedules and stuff like that, and actually putting things together, but, you know, the beautiful thing about any sort of podcast that you're doing or going to attempt to be doing is the fact of the conceptual design of it. You had a vision for what this was going to be when you first started and how that has managed to change and evolve over 27 episodes. How it's changed from the way it was in the beginning with you guys just having a real good time and not really worrying about anything to now that this is, you know, this is, not going to say it, this is serious. I mean, <laughs> this is business now. You know what I mean? This is something that can be done and done well. Right. And therefore, well, it's a possibility to you know to look at things in a bigger perspective. Yeah, I'm not sure when Ben's on here if things are all that serious. Well, you know, every show does have to have a <laughs> little comic relief once in a while. Yeah. You know, Monday Night Magic works, and Jack's on there. Oh, I know. Oops. Man. Sorry, oh, Jack. are you are you insulting Jack? Jeez. Doesn't everyone else already do that for him? Well, you know, I don't want to take pot shots on him while he's on the air. You know. <laughs> I don't think he'd mind. The man's busy now. He's got a girlfriend. He's got school. You know, Monday Night Magic is like fourth or fifth on his priority list. Wow. Yet still he makes the time for it. Got to get his piece in once in a while. So what's your next uh, event that you're going to there? Um, I think I heard you guys talking about it. Uh, is it is it going to be Grand Prix Denver? Uh, first, next major? Yeah. No, it's not. It's not going to be Grand Prix Denver. Um, it'll be. Um, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Never mind. It is Grand Prix Denver. Yes, that's oh, the okay. next major event I'm going to be at. Um, and then I'm going to try to go to Dallas and possibly KC as well. What's um, the format for Dallas? Dallas, I believe, was. I don't know, you can make me look it up. Oh no, no, it's cool. I just wasn't sure if you had it off the top of your head because because Denver is still sealed, isn't it? Denver sealed. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think Dallas might be sealed too. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I was kind of trying it's to. Seal, it's either sealed or standard. Gotcha. And then KC is the opposite. 
Very cool. Well, I, yeah, I, I think uh, Robert's planning on going to one of those two, and I was I was also considering one or possibly both, but probably one of them as well. So it'd be cool to be able to catch up to some people that uh, haven't been able to meet yet. There wasn't a lot of uh, the MTG cast crew at the Grand Prix Portland one, so. Yeah, there. I guess there was, you know, Ryan and Marshall, and then and then like Smitty, but it didn't seem like there was too many people there. Yeah, well, Ryan was attempting to make day make day two, so he wasn't really uh, really wasn't focusing on the MTG cast part of it. <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. Out stomping faces, and same with Smitty. So it's not like either one of those two had time to actually worry about what their other side thing is, which is you know MTG casting. So. Oh, come on, man. This is the highest priority in their life. Are you kidding? Well, come on. I mean, you had plenty of time. Oh, I'm sorry. Ooh. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> That's yeah, so Dallas funny. Yeah, Dallas is standard, too, by the way. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. That's and cool. And it's Pro Tour Philly. Oh, okay. Nice. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, I pretty much, I I think this was going to be a shorter episode in general anyway. Uh, did you have anything else, Robert, that you wanted to go over? Or, you know, Chris, did you have anything that you wanted to talk about? I don't really have anything else outside of the fact that, you know, the there's a PTQ going on in Minnesota this weekend, and uh, potentially Jonathan from the Four Spikes will be there, and hopefully he'll be rolling it and sealed. So if he does go, good luck to him. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully he... Uh you know, does he, does he has does he play a lot of sealed? Has he been playing in in events, or is this uh, still he pretty has, new to him? They do tons and tons and tons of drafting and sealed work, and if anyone is prepared for it, it's him. I mean, he really has. I mean, they literally spend probably anywhere from three to five days a week. He sent me an email saying that he's trying to get uh, a. <clears throat> He's trying to get a, a gym to uh, uh, rent out for free that he'll be able to um, draft and then play basketball afterwards. <laughs> nice. That's pretty cool. So well, I might do well in the draft, but then die on the court afterwards. So, you know, <laughs> hey. You know. Wow. Okay, that's cool. So he's going to just do this on a regular basis, just rent a gym and draft and then go play basketball? I think that might be the plan. Well, he's, nice. he's trying to get a gym for free right now, so he must know somebody. I mean, this guy is this guy is well connected within the uh, Milwaukee community as well as the Magic community. So, gotcha. You know, this guy's this guy's guy ducks in a row. He's a little political guy, you know. He's you know, very he's cool, gonna be, dude. He's going to be the next Russ Feingold in the making. <laughs> Cool. Well, hey, yeah, definitely best of luck to him then. Uh, is so Greg's not going up there? I doubt it. I know. I don't know exactly for sure. They haven't. I haven't talked to Greg, but I highly doubt it. Uh, a lot of it depends on scheduling. Yeah. Know. Yeah. To commit to that, you know, you're talking two days, and a lot of right. times it's hard to commit to that. Absolutely. Well, okay. Well, again, good luck to them, and uh, again, uh, you know, as always, a shout to the. Uh, our friends over there at the A-Team, because they're awesome, and we, they always got our back, so we always want to have theirs. And, uh, you know, again, check out the Road Warrior Otwell's episodes. He just recently released one with an interview of The Beamy. 
aka Roberto. And uh, you more can, like the opposite. Where yeah, it was the oh, opposite, man. I was interviewing yeah. him. I think it was like an interview of how to do interviews or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was that was pretty cool. And Chris, where can they get a hold of you if they want to contact you? Uh, C at gmail dot com. And uh, my, last, that, my last name, first initial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And. Uh, and, you know, I really, again, I hope everyone supports the show. It sounds like just based off of Twitter and everything that, that, that everyone would be in support of it and is looking forward to it. And uh, it's just a matter of, you know, start actually doing work on it instead of just talking about it. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, exactly. And now, you know, I just want to get you on more shows talking about it so then you feel committed and then you're, like, locked in, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Robert. Where can they get a hold of you, man? Uh, you can get a hold of me at thebeamy at gmail.com or manascrewed at gmail.com. Or if you have complaints about me on Monday Night Magic, you can email me at Robert. Uh, wow, man, I keep forgetting the extension for Monday Night Magic. Uh, the email. MTGcast? Yeah, MTGcast.com, yeah. <laughs> it, it's late, man. It, this is like, again, it's another night where I don't go to bed before. <laughs> Real early in the morning. So, That's you know. cool, man. That's why I'm trying to wrap it up here for you so you can, you know, get some Z's. But, uh, yeah, of course, you can get a hold of me, TangentDYN on Twitter, TangentDYN on MTGO. And we'd love to hear back from you guys at manascrewed at gmail.com. And, again, I appreciate you coming on, Chris. It was good to have you on here. I know that we did. you came on kind of late, so we didn't get to talk with you a whole lot, but you're always welcome. And it's definitely good to have someone on who's got the kind of experience that you do and who does so much for MTG Cast. Yeah, you know, gotta keep the gotta keep the uh, the modern day dojo running. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. And you know, check again if if you haven't been listening. Uh, Chris has been on like on four spikes the past couple times, and you can kind of hear just a little bit about what he does on that show so go back and check out the four spikes episodes with him and and they give him a lot of props because he deserves a lot so you also have to remember that this week is going to be a busy week for you there sir between this one and getting out our uh brad nelson interview and our rich hagan interview and the uh interview with Rashad from Gigi's Live and <laughs> yeah I should apologize to everyone for that actually because it should have been out this last weekend but since I had one of the most insane weekends of all time uh with you know in between my cat getting painted red and my stepbrother dying it was uh definitely an insane weekend and not something that uh I was able to get to but I will have those out ASAP. Well, like I said, it's it's good. It will be good show prep for when you hear the future podcast forthcoming. Right, exactly. And you will just you'll be like a fine wine. You'll get better with age. Well, if that's so, then I should be perfect by now with mine. <laughs> All right, hey guys, uh, thanks again for coming on, and uh, thanks again for another episode of Mana Screwed. Uh, Bye, I think, everybody. Yeah, we're. I think until next time, we're out. I'm Tangent. I'm Robert. Feel free to jump in there, Chris.
And I'm Chris. <laughs> All right. And we are out. Later. Bye.